0: 2 Timothy 1-8 and 2 Timothy 4-6-8 So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me his prisoner rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God he has saved us and called us to a holy life And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet there is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of Righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Life is full of endings. And uh, considering how many endings we encounter in a lifetime, it would be fair to say that overall we perhaps don't plan as well for them as we could. The most certain thing that will end for each of us from the day that we are born is our life. We will indeed one day die. And in view of that fact, with every single passing day, no matter how young or or old we are, we get a little bit closer to that day. And uh, it would be good for us to give it some serious thought. I recall reading The Seven, Highly, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey in my early 20s. And the second principle is to begin with the end in mind. And the book has a very powerful exercise which the reader is encouraged to do. And, and what that is, is, is being present at your own funeral service. And you write your own eulogy, what you would want to be said about you. It's a very moving and, and powerful exercise. You need to create some space to do this exercise. But what it actually does is it brings out your most precious and treasured values from your heart. What you value most kind of comes to the fore as you write down words that you would love to be said about you and the whole premise of the chapter and the whole premise of that particular principle is to begin with the end in mind so the author encourages you to think about where are you trying to go in life like at the end of the day what do you want to be said of you what do you want your life to have amounted to And then to actually work your way back from there. So if this is what I want my life to finish up like, if this is ultimately what I consider to be the most valuable thing, then how am I allowing that to inform and to shape the decisions and the lifestyle that I'm living today? It's a very helpful exercise. And often when people are in this space of reflecting on what matters most and what they want to be said about them, they are thoughts about family They are thoughts about faith. Uh, They're not so much thoughts about career progression uh, and some of the other things that we may aspire to, uh, but ultimately, these are the things that matter. And so that exercise challenges us to think about, how am I living today? Am I making decisions that are going to enable a great ending to my life? So whilst in some respects speaking about our death is a little bit of a morbid topic, I also think it's a very valid and valuable thing for us to constantly evaluate. Are we living lives in light of our eventual death? And so, in two, in five days, 2015 will end. And for many of us, not a lot will change. One year finishes, another one begins. and uh, And the years kind of just carry on and roll on, don't they, for many of us. Uh, But there is obviously something very significant about the conclusion of one year and the start of another. I find, for me, there's this window of opportunity, uh, maybe a few weeks, where there is a sense of new possibility, new opportunity that a new year offers. And uh, there's a, a little bit of space there to really reflect upon what ultimately matters and then, to go, and then to actually look at the way I'm living my life. Am I living my life in such a way that is going to end up how I envisage and how I would want to be remembered for? Uh, and so when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we see a person who was so passionate about his mission, about his calling. He knew exactly how he wanted his life to end. And because he had the end in mind he was enabled to live every day with that particular goal in mind. And it informed and it shaped the way that he lived. So this morning, we're just going to reflect a little bit on the Apostle Paul and the end of his life, that we might glean some encouragement as to what it looks like to finish well. Because Paul offers us a great illustration, biblically, of what it looks like to get to the end of your days and finish well. What was Paul's calling and purpose? Well, very clearly, he articulates that in what was the first reading. He says in chapter 1, verse 11 of 2 Timothy, And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Paul was a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the gospel. Now, prior to declaring what his role was... He explained that the gospel is the good news that God has saved us by his own initiative because of his grace. And that grace was expressed through Jesus Christ, who overcame death and brought life. And this is the message that Paul is urging young Timothy, who is writing to her in this letter, to not be ashamed of. Why would we? Or why would followers of Jesus be ashamed of the gospel, of this good news that God has redeemed and rescued us by his own initiative? The gospel has power to change lives. This is true. But the gospel also generates persecution because the gospel calls us to pour out our own lives, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And sometimes that means making tough decisions that aren't always popular. And it's guaranteed that for those who pursue a godly life, that they will face persecution. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 3, 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We must keep in mind that there is an enemy to this gospel, and that is Satan. and He will do everything he can To prevent the gospel message from going forward. So when we think of persecution and we think of martyrdom, we may think, well, that's no longer relevant. Uh, That may have happened, you know, back in Paul's day, but I'm not going to be martyred for my faith, so I've got no issues there. Well, Satan is very crafty, he's very deceptive, and there are all kinds of ways that he will continue and he does persecute believers today to prevent them from being proactive in sharing this good news. He doesn't want that good news to progress. And so he will do whatever he can to shut down conversations and opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. For the sake of the gospel, Paul experienced Persecution to no end. And he found himself regularly in prison. And in this case, as he's writing 2 Timothy, he is in prison awaiting his execution. The gospel has cost Paul his very life. So we've got a bit of clarity around what Paul's calling and purpose was. What about you and I? Ultimately, what is our calling? And purpose if we consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, well, God specifically chose Paul to preach and teach the gospel as well as establishing and planting new churches. God still calls people to be preachers, to plant churches, uh, but for the majority of people, this will not be the case. Um, so what is the call for someone? who's not to preach, who's not to teach, and who's not to plant churches? Well, it is to be a witness of the gospel, of this good news. Every single Christian has a responsibility to be Christ's witness. And every Christian testimony is essentially testimony about Jesus Christ. This was articulated by Jesus in Acts 1-8, to where he said to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Don't ever underestimate the power of your personal testimony. A life that has been impacted by the gospel is the best illustration of its power and truth. People cannot argue with personal experience. It's yours. And each of our experience of the gospel's impact on our lives is unique and valid and worth sharing. A fairly sobering question to ask ourselves is how many people will have heard the gospel message... Through you and I, and will be impacted by that message and by our witness. So, what does it mean to finish well? 2 Timothy is the last letter written by the aging apostle. It's a fascinating letter to read in its entire context. Uh, as many of you would be aware, the Apostle Paul wrote such a significant portion of the New Testament. It is believed that Galatians is probably the first of his letters, and Second Timothy is his last. And it's a fascinating letter to read because we really, you can really gauge the intensity and the clarity of the Apostle as he awaits his execution. He was in prison awaiting that execution and he knew that his life was about to end. And this is evident in the words of verses 6 to 7 in chapter 4 where he writes, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Marvellous words. Wouldn't you like to be able to get to the end of your days and be able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Wonderful words for us to reflect on. Wonderful words to desire to be said about you at that service that is coming for all of us one day. Paul regularly, Paul is very rich in his use of illustration, in his teaching and his preaching. And he regularly draws on the image of a soldier, who has fought a good fight, or the athlete who has finished their race. Now these are not just random examples, but very purposeful illustrations. So what does it mean to an athlete to finish your race well? What does it mean as a soldier to try and finish your assignment well? Now I know it's in a modern day context, but to try and just grasp a little bit of insight into what Paul may have been referring to, and to understand these images better. I spoke with two friends of mine, both in Canberra, one who is an Army Reserve soldier, and another one who is a professional runner. And I asked them from their perspective, what does it mean for you to finish well? And I was fascinated to discover the different perspectives and how we can gain some valuable insight into some of the things that Paul may have had in mind when he used the illustration of a soldier and an athlete. So what about the athlete or a runner? These are the reflections of my friend Steve. To race successfully, he said, you can't be afraid of pain. If we are to finish our race well, then we ought to expect, expect at times there will be pain. There can be no growth Without sacrifice. In running, your greatest opponent is always yourself. You are not necessarily running against other runners. Rather, you are running against the clock. The runner informed me, or Steve informed me, that there are three different ways of finishing a race. The first is that you finish with disappointment. This will occur if you go into your race underprepared, You have not counted the cost you have not done the necessary training and warm-ups you have even started with an attitude of arrogance and pride i don't need to train i'm good to go and in that case you finish with disappointment another scenario is that you finish with uncertainty uncertain of how you went the finish is so close and so tight you don't know how you have gone And until the result is given, you're not able to celebrate. So there's this period of uncertainty where you're left wondering, did I give it my all? Was there still some more I could have given? The third way of finishing a race, Steve said, is rare uh, but exceptional. And that is that you finish with a convincing win. You smash the race and beat your PB by a considerable measure. You've left nothing behind. You've given it your absolute all. And now you can rejoice in the victory. My other friend, Jono, who is a reserve soldier, gave these reflections. A soldier is given a very clear mission for what they are to achieve. For that mission to be completed, there usually is a series of objectives that must be accomplished. The mission is made so clear and so straightforward that there is no room for misunderstanding. This means that when you, this means that you know, without a shadow of a doubt, when that mission has been completed. Our mission is always is almost always given to a collective group, not just an individual, which means that teamwork is critical. Jono said that each mission in and of itself is always part of a much larger objective. So by fulfilling their own responsibilities, a soldier knows that they have played their part in a bigger picture. There is a great deal of satisfaction in achieving a set mission. There's all kinds of illustrations and parallels that we can draw. Like, for example, there, what's coming into my mind is that As a church community, collectively, we are like one piece of God's redemptive plan around the world. And if we play our part in bringing God's kingdom to bear and to reign here at Erina, then we have that satisfaction of being part of God's grand plan. So there are all kinds of illustrations and examples and insights that we can draw from some of these words in light of what Paul said. That being said, how can we best order and prioritise our lives in a way that we will finish well? Well, there are three clear principles from today's reading and the illustrations that I've shared. And the first one is to finish well. Just like the Apostle Paul, we need to be clear on what our mission is. And I'm talking big picture here. I'm talking macro. I'm not talking micro. What is our kind of macro, big picture mission as followers of Jesus? Paul knew what his calling was and focused his life on that mission. Do you know what your calling is? We have all been called to promote the gospel, whether it is as a preacher, as a teacher, or as a witness. All of us have that responsibility of promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself as a witness for Christ before you see yourself as a retiree, as a worker, as a student, as a parent? Like a soldier who has a crystal clear understanding of their mission, if we are going to carry out all that we've been set to do with purpose, passion and understanding, then we need a crystal clear understanding of what God has given us to do what that mission is. So our first mission in life, kind of the macro mission as followers of Jesus is to be witnesses of the gospel. What does a witness do? Well a witness gives testimony for what they have seen and for what they have heard and for what they have experienced. When you think about a witness sitting in a witness box, they don't really have a script or a text that they kind of have to, to, to read and concoct. They actually need to speak out of their life experience what they saw. So whilst it's really helpful and good to read different strategies and ways to share our faith in Christ, and I think that's very valid, as I said earlier, nothing competes with your personal testimony of how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, has impacted your own life. And that is a story only you, my friend, can tell. So learn that story. We need to share that story with one another regularly so that we are fresh and able to then share that with others. But God also calls us to live out that calling in a specific way. If you are married, then you are called to witness the love of Christ to your spouse. If you have children, you are called to witness the love of Christ to your children. If you are an employee or an employer, you are called to witness the love of Christ to your colleagues. Here is a question that I want to ask you to wrestle with, especially over this coming week because the answer to this question will greatly assist you in trying to identify your unique calling, your unique mission. We've all called to be witnesses of the gospel, but what is your unique way of doing that? Where has God placed you in order to do that most effectively? And this is the question, when do you most feel like your true self? C.S. Lewis wrote that the more Christ-like we become, the more our true selves we become. In what situations do you really shine and feel like, I was made for this? Who is the unique you? This is the person in this situation who is going to make the greatest impact for the gospel unlike the runner who finishes with disappointment because they underprepared. We need to understand what direction we are heading in and what the journey will require. You know, if for you, you go, well, my, you know, when I, like, as a mother, I just really feel that this is what God made me for. Then as a mother, then you just shine in witnessing the gospel to your children. And think about the potential impact that that will have. And maybe you will see that as an extension of that, God is going to gift me to be able to encourage other mothers in this same manner. Maybe God has called you, your unique mission, maybe God has placed you in a particular workplace where you are surrounded by unbelievers and uh, there's a lot of darkness in that context and you may sense that I really feel that God has placed me here. And so why don't you really focus on making that Your key area of mission activity for God. Once we've discovered our mission, our unique calling, we must then give ourselves fully to that cause. In 1 Corinthians 9 24 to 27, Paul urges us to run for the prize. Do you know, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So if we think about an athlete, who does training and warm-ups and prepares for that race? What kinds of things can we do to help train and prepare and increase our capacity to be witnesses for the gospel? I think in this day and age, there is a bombardment of opportunity to grow and to develop. There are countless books that we can read that help encourage and inform and shape our spirituality. There are endless opportunities of conferences that we can go to. And here at Erina, for example, we have a wealth of wisdom just in the community alone. There are men and women here who have walked the journey ahead of you. And, uh, and we can glean from one another's experiences and wisdom. And I encourage you also to spend time prayerfully seeking God as to how He would have you encourage and grow the gift that He has given to you. It's about being intentional. It's about starting the year out and saying, I want to grow as a follower of Christ. I want to grow as a witness of Christ. And what sort of things am I going to invest myself in this year that are going to increase my capacity to share the good news of Jesus Christ? The second principle is once we understand and know and have clarity around that mission, we then need to orientate our lives around that mission. One day, we will all stand before Christ and give an account for how we lived our lives. And we will be asked, how do we use the gifts that God had give, given us for his glory? And we need to remember that kingdom values are very different to the values of this world. And that what the world deems as successful is not what the Lord considers success. That being said, it is so easy for us, isn't it? to end up living our lives in accordance with the values and the ways of the world. Here is a great checklist I once read in The Word for Today, a daily devotional, which I have kept and I read from time to time. God will measure us with a very different yardstick than what the world will. He won't ask us what kind of car we drove, but how many people we gave lifts to. He won't ask about the size or location of our house, but how we raised and treated our families within that house. He won't ask about the brand of clothes we wore, but who we helped to clothe. He won't ask about our salary, but rather how much we invested in building his family. He won't ask about your job title, but if you tried to do your job with excellence and integrity. He won't ask how many friends you had, but how many people you were a friend He won't ask what neighbourhood you lived in, but whether you loved your neighbour. He won't ask about your politics or the colour of your skin, but about the quality of your character. Paul was able to finish well, because he had orientated his life and his priorities around the values of the Kingdom of God, not the world's. We would do well to honestly review our priorities and values, and see where our orientation and our focus in life lies. Paul knew he had finished well because he had the confidence that a heavenly crown awaited him, a crown of righteousness, a reward that is available to all who share Paul's eagerness to meet the Lord. The final principle is to finish well, we need to keep the finish line in sight. Is your life preparing you for your death where are you giving your time where are you making your greatest investments are those investments in things that are eternal or temporal paul knew his calling and was faithful to it right to the end he had an eternal perspective he was able to make decisions based on kingdom values he is a great example to us Having an eternal perspective makes all the difference because it keeps us focused on the big picture and of ultimately what truly matters. Just like a soldier acknowledges that their mission is part of a much larger operation, so we too ought to learn to see the importance and value in those little daily decisions that help to contribute to a much larger picture of witnessing for Christ. I know and confess personally That just like the rest of us, I don't always make decisions that are based best on the kingdom of God. In fact, I know that my default response is to build the kingdom of Joel. I need to constantly remind myself that I am not here for myself. I am here for God and for his kingdom. And to see his kingdom come in the world and the sphere that he has placed me in. So in summary, in order to finish well, we need to know what our mission is in life. If we have accepted Christ, then we have been enlisted as his witnesses and our lives are to be a testimony of his love and grace. To finish well, we need to know what our mission is. To finish well, we need to orientate our lives around that mission. And to finish well, we need to keep the finish line well and truly in sight. A great ending will always begin with a purposeful beginning. And that's what Matt is going to speak to us about next Sunday. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word. And in particular, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. Can't wait to meet the guy in heaven. Just an absolute freak for you, Lord. So sold out for you so clear on what his mission was and lord we know that in acts chapter 9 paul encountered you the living jesus in in such a life transforming way that it it completely reorientated and reshaped the way that he went about things and so father i pray for each one of us that we might experience and encounter you in a new and a fresh and a vital way that gives us rise to want to be that witness for you in whatever context you've placed us in. God, thank you that you are so generous and so loving and so kind. And wherever we are on our journey of faith, you don't look upon us with disappointment. You look upon us with love and with hope, and you see the opportunity that is before us. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might enable each one of us within the context that you've placed us in to see the opportunity before us to be witnesses for you and for your gospel. And I pray that in the new year, we might in our own way as a church community and as individual followers of you, see your kingdom come. See your glory reign here on earth as it does in heaven. And all God's people who agreed said, Amen.